In your Bibles this morning, we would invite you to turn to Micah chapter 5. In your pew Bible, you can find that on page 1074. We'll read Micah 5 in its entirety, and then we'll look this morning especially at verses 7, 8, and 9 as the words of our text. Uh, So we have the prophetic word of the Lord as it comes to especially the southern tribes of Judah uh, through the prophet Micah, uh, speaking a variety of interconnected themes, uh, the theme of impending judgment, uh, the impending exile. But in the midst of the dark gloom of the impending exile, there's also this note of hope, this note of confidence that the Lord uh, would indeed remember His people, that there would always be this remnant Uh, this portion of those who, by the Spirit of the Lord, continued on in faithful uh, allegiance to the God of their redemption. And so we read Micah 5, beginning at verse 1. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace when the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our palaces. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man, nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. Thus I will destroy your cities, and I will execute vengeance in anger and fury on the nations that have not heard." Thus far, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in many ways it is a rather dark world in which we are called to live, and yet we are called to live in the midst of that darkness as lights, as lights who radiate 
uh, the true light that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I was reminded of this uh, in this past week. Uh, there is darkness, not only within our culture, within the secular culture, uh, there is also, to a certain extent, darkness within the ecclesiastical uh, land in which we are called to live. And, and I debated about this introduction, uh, and it's certainly not uh, my intention to exalt ourselves at all. That would be against the text. That would be against the whole thrust of Scripture. Uh, but a sober recognition of the times in which we live uh, helps to illustrate the reality of what our text is speaking about, uh, of a darkness that is coming upon uh, the ecclesiastical land, the churches in which we uh, move. Uh, we think of two denominations that have had synodical meetings within the past week. Uh, these denominations uh, dealt with the pressing problems uh, of the homosexual agenda, uh, whether or not to affirm those who commit themselves to a sinful pattern of conduct. Uh, one of these denominations also dealt with whether or not uh, the biblical truth uh, of what we would call the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the essentials of Christian doctrine. Now, we could say there is a, a small ray of hope uh, that these synods did to a certain extent affirm biblical sexuality, and, and that they did affirm that, yes, on the cross, Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God for the elect of God. But nevertheless, there is also within their decisions much to be uh, mourned, a, a failure to take a strong stand upon the essential necessity of a substitutionary atoning sacrifice and of the unqualified dedication to the biblical sexual ethics that are revealed within the pages of Holy Scripture. And so we bring this all to our attention just to point out the fact that indeed the ecclesiastical landscape is dark. And in the midst of that darkness, we are called to shine like light. Uh, and that's part of what is revealed within our text in verses 7, 8, and 9. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to briefly consider this passage this morning with the theme of the Lord promises the remnant a victory. And we want to consider that theme first and foremost, to exalt our God, that He might be praised for that which He has promised to do and that which He is indeed doing. And along with that, that our God might be praised, another goal that we have is that we might then be encouraged, that we might be encouraged to go forth and to live as lights in the midst of a dark uh, and a crooked and a perverse generation, that we might know that our God has promised and that when our God promises, He is always faithful to those promises, so that we might go forth as the people of God here within this locality, uh, not rocked back on our heels, spiritually speaking, uh, but rather uh, on the figurative balls of our feet, uh, having an eager anticipation 
uh, to bring the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, into every single corner uh, of our lives. So the theme, the Lord promises the remnant a victory. We'll look first of all this morning at the identification of the remnant, and then secondly, the action of the remnant, and then thirdly, the instruction to the remnant. So the identification, the action, and the instruction in regards to the Lord's promise to the remnant. First of all, then, this remnant. And we want to be somewhat painstaking, hopefully not overly laborious, but we want to clearly identify this concept of the remnant. You'll notice that we need to do that because it has uh, the primacy within our text. Verse 7, then the remnant of Jacob. That's echoed again in verse 8, and the remnant of Jacob. What exactly is this remnant? Some time ago, uh, we dealt with this in relationship to an earlier chapter in Micah. There we use the illustration of the, the remnant bag that maybe mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers had. Uh, if they were to patch socks, all of the little pieces of worn-out socks went into the remnant bag. Grammatically, the word remnant just simply means what is left. But what is left after something? Uh, and so if you're taking notes uh, with pen and paper, you could write this down. The word used for remnant means what is left of a community after it undergoes a catastrophe. So after some event, after some catastrophic event, uh, the part of that community of people that is left after that catastrophic event, in this case, the, the pending exile, in this case, uh, the warfare that's going to be coming to the tribes of Judah, uh, that, that portion of the population uh, that survives the intense catastrophic event is referred to as the remnant. Uh, now, this theme weaves itself all throughout the Old Testament. And so, scripturally, the identification of the remnant uh, is mentioned, for example, by the Old Testament prophets, referring to the people, the covenant people, uh, and by way of covenant people, we mean those people who God has graciously, sovereignly established a special relationship, the seed of Abraham, uh, the people of Israel. Uh, these individuals, uh, those who survive the apostasy, uh, the conquering the exile, mentioned by Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah 1 verse 9, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Now, boys and girls, you learn, I hope you learn in catechism and in Sunday school and in your uh, schooling and at home, you learn about Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, a, a city that was punished by God and His righteousness because of their iniquity, because of their sin, but a city that was absolutely annihilated, completely destroyed with no survivors. Now, Isaiah is saying, unless the Lord had preserved a remnant, 
we would have been just like Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Lord preserved a remnant. The Lord sovereignly, and that needs to be underscored, the remnant owes their existence not to their own, not to their own ability, but God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness to His covenant promise. If it had not been for the Lord's work, Isaiah says, we also would have been annihilated, like Sodom and like Gomorrah. Isaiah mentions also in Isaiah 10, verse 20 and 21, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated him, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. And this adds an element of description about the characteristic of the remnant. The remnant are preserved from spiritual destruction because of the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. Being preserved by the covenant faithfulness of the Lord, the remnant are those uh, who exercise continual faith in the Lord. Continual faith that also then displays the fruits of faith. It shall come to pass uh, that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will depend on the Lord. And so there is just this pastoral reflection. Are we characterized are we as a congregation, are we as families, are we as households, are we as individual persons, are we characterized as those who depend upon the Lord, who walk with childlike faith, with a childlike faith that also then displays the fruits of faith. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament also picks up uh, this remnant idea. Uh, so, for example, Romans 9, verse 29, he quotes Isaiah, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Romans 11, verse 5, Paul also talks about this remnant idea. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And, and so theologically speaking, we don't want to have this idea that the remnant are those who somehow by way of their own exercise separate themselves, but rather they are the ones who exercise faith as a result of the election of their souls in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So to summarize what, what we've uh, briefly reviewed, the remnant are those individuals within the covenant community who by virtue of God's gracious election in Christ exercise faith in Christ, a, a faith that abides, a faith that abides even in the midst of apostasy, so that when many, many others in the external covenant community begin to fall away 
by the way of apostasy, by the way of idolatry, the remnant, because of election, because of God's grace, because of union with Jesus Christ, the remnant are those who persist in faith. And that transitions us into our second point, the action of the remnant. Uh, the action uh, described, first of all, and then the action also considered in relationship to its source. Uh, so the remnant, the first thing to notice about the remnant is that they also will experience the scattering. Uh, so if you look at our text, verse 7, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. They shall be in the midst of many peoples. Uh, with the exile, what the New Testament often refers to as the dispersion or the scattering. So when Peter writes uh, to the churches, he writes to those who are of the dispersion, those who are scattered. Uh, and indeed, the, the faithful remnant will have to march out of the promised land along with those who have apostatized, along with those who are the idolaters within uh, Israel and within Judah. Uh, and so the remnant, they are scattered into the midst of the nations, uh, but the difference is that the remnant, according to God's electing grace, when they are scattered into the midst of the nations, they prosper. They prosper in the midst of the nations. So you notice they shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. Uh, now a, a little bit of the agricultural background of Israel. Of course, uh, it is basically a high desert, and there are lengthy times uh, of dry seasons. Uh, there are the early rains around the time of planting, and there are the latter rains uh, around the time uh, nearing harvest. But in between the early rains and the latter rains, there is a time of prolonged drought. Uh, and during those times, dew is, you might say, invaluable. And, and we see something of that uh, even in this week. Uh, it, it's been a hot week. It's been a dry week. Uh, and, and yet, and my observation is limited by and large out my window, there, there's dew on, on the morning grass. Even this morning as I, as I contemplated and, and thought through uh, the sermon, I was able to look out the window of my study and, and see the, the shining dew upon the grass that comes and, and waters the earth. And what the prophet is saying is that the remnant, they're going to be like that. Yes, they're going to be scattered, but they're going to be scattered and they are going to thrive by the virtue uh, of God's grace and God's goodness so that the church will continue to exist and not only continue to exist, uh, but be a blessing unto the nations. Uh, be a blessing unto the nations uh, by the way of a victory over the nations. Uh, you'll notice verse 8 uh, continues this line, and the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles. Allow me just to pause there, and when we describe this action, uh, th there is a, a tension, a, a tension of how we as the people of God are to relate to this world. And, and one imbalanced answer 
would say that we are to completely retract from any involvement within the world. And you can think of various religious communities that take this approach. Uh, Some type of monastic retreat from the world. Yet that's not what Jesus Christ prays for. He prays that we would not be taken from out of this world, but that we would be kept from this world. And now the other imbalance... Uh, we would call it a sort of hyper-transformational list, is that, you know, we are to be just like the nations. Uh, That we are to break down any and every barrier. That we are to, to live like the nations. But that also, of course, goes against the teachings of Scripture. And so we are indeed, as the Christian church, we are to be among the Gentiles and in the midst of many peoples geographically, but certainly not morally. Uh, The analogy that is perhaps most fitting is that we, you and I, we are to be the salt. Now, boys and girls, I don't know, I I really enjoy salt on my mashed potatoes and, and my green beans, but you know, you have a salt shaker, you don't just set that next to your your dinner plate, and say, there, I've got some salt there. You have to take that salt, and you have to shake that salt, and and the salt has to actually go on the mashed potatoes, and the salt has to actually go on the green bean casserole, because if you don't actually put the salt on those food items, it's not going to accomplish anything. And, And so, the remnant Uh, those who continue to live lives of faithful allegiance to the redeeming God of Israel by virtue of His electing grace. The prophecy that Micah is given is, yes, they will go out and they will be a people who are scattered in the midst of the Gentiles and in the midst of the nations, that they might then that they might then testify to the goodness of God, to the redemption of God. And so we can wrestle with this tension that we mentioned. Certainly, we dare not live like the nations, but we dare not retreat from the nations. Because if we do not bring the gospel message to the ends of the world, who will? And hidden behind the purposes of the exile is the evangelistic activity of God that the faithful remnant will go forth like dew in the midst of the nations and in the midst of the Gentiles. And this all is not dependent upon human activity as the end result. And here we need to be careful. I also believe, because if you listen to voices within the church, if, if they're not qualified, the message can be, you need to do this, you need to do that, we need to do this, we need to do that. And certainly there is a calling that we have, a calling also to the nations, and a calling also to Pala, Iowa. We as a congregation 
We have an opportunity, and I, I choose that word purposefully, we have an opportunity in Pala, Iowa. But we dare not think that we can meet that opportunity in our own strength. Because the strength is the strength of the Lord. Uh, and this you see in verse 7, uh, the second half, like showers on the graph that tarry for no man nor wait for the sons of men. I mean, just imagine when, uh, when the storm clouds come again on the western horizon, and, and as you watch them move in, is there, is there any human person that can go out and that can stop that storm front? I mean, imagine, boys and girls, if we saw a storm moving in, but maybe we were playing outside, well, you were playing outside, and you said, well, I don't want it to rain yet. Let, let's hold our hands up and see if we can stop the clouds. You'd say, well, Reverend Lovers, that's kind of silly. There's, there's no way we can stop those clouds. And that's the idea of what Micah is saying, what the Lord is saying through Micah. When God does something, no mere human can stop what he's going to do. I'm reminded of the prophecy in Zechariah 4, verse 6. So he, that is the angel who's explaining the vision to Zechariah, answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Christian faith does not depend upon human strength. And the Christian church does not depend upon human strength. And without being too focused on myself, let me just say this on the events of this past week. I firmly believe that God sometimes lays us low just to remind us of that. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. But by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so that presents us with a challenge of self-reflection. First of all, do we realize the opportunity that we as a congregation in this locality have to testify of our God? Secondly, do we have a dependency upon God? A dependency that would find expression in prayer. Lord, use us by your power and by your might to be an influence for good upon the nations, upon our extended family members, upon our co-workers, upon our neighbors, upon our community, so that your name might be honored and glorified. But also then a, a note of optimism, a note of confidence, that along the lines of the Lord Jesus Christ's promise, I will build my church, looks upon such a prophecy as what we have here in Micah 5, verse 7 and 8, 
and that we would know the remnant will be amidst the people and amidst the Gentiles and will testify of the redemptive work of the Lord our God. You see, that ties in uh, to our third point, the instruction to the remnant. Uh, Three things uh, that we are instructed in by our text. The first is to hope in the Lord's work. I, I, I pray that we as a church, and I pray that leaders within this church, myself included, that we don't lose hope. Not hope in ourselves. That needs to be lost if it is there. But hope in our God. Hope in our Lord. Hope in the building program that He has of gathering spiritual sons and daughters, of advancing His kingdom, of bringing many people to a saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. I fear that far too many churches, far too many council rooms, far too many consistories, far too many ministers in the pulpits are reeling on their heels of defeatism, saying all hope is lost. Not all hope is lost. Christ is on His throne. The promise of God is sure. The Lord will certainly accomplish that which He has set out to accomplish. And this can be the most liberating, uh, the most mobilizing thing for the church. Uh, We don't know exactly what we're supposed to do, nor how we're supposed to do it. Uh, We, our best efforts are weak and are feeble, but we do our best, of course, but never mind. The Lord will build His church. Uh, We don't have to worry about being successful. We just have to worry if you want to use that word, and we don't have to worry, but our only concern is to be faithful to be faithful with what God has called us to do, having this certain attitude of hopeful confidence. God will build His church. I haven't forgotten that it's Father's Day. And one illustration, it would seem to me, and I don't have scientific facts and all sorts of data to support this, this is anecdotal at best, it would seem to me that, that fathers who have been blessed with faithful children, don't they seem to be the ones who give the most credit to the Lord? You know, you, you'll, you'll comment to them, oh, well, what a wonderful family you have. And they'll say, well, it's all, it's all the Lord's doing. And then they'll usually go on and they'll say, you know, I, I, I did what I could. I sought to be faithful with many, many shortcomings. You know, it seems to be those fathers who are somewhat arrogant, who are somewhat boastful in what they are going to do, who often fall flat on their face. Same when it comes to the church. We dare not boast in and of ourselves, but we do what we can do, leaving the results up to the Lord our God. 
but having hope. We then move into our duty. And what is our duty as a church? And we must be crystal clear on this. What is our duty as a church? To bring the gospel to the nations. Now, of course, that demands that we be able to articulate very, very clearly what the gospel is. The gospel, the good news of redemption through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption of sinners. We dare not even consider the task of evangelism until we have a clear grasp of what the gospel is. And may we all work together and pray earnestly that this church here in Pella, Iowa would be known for the clear understanding and the clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what else they may say about us, wouldn't it be a testimony of God's goodness if people would say, they know the gospel and they focus on the gospel? There is the instruction finally to endure. We are not naive about the difficulty of the Christian life in the midst of apostasy. We are not naive about how difficult it is to live in the midst of a wicked world. We know the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 10, verse 16, when he said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's our context. Therefore, he goes on, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. As we go forth in the midst of the Gentiles, in the midst of the nations, in the midst of apostasy, in the midst of opposition, increasing opposition, let us resolve by the grace of God and the covenant faithfulness of God to endure to endure, to hold fast until the end. I find it so fitting that the words of Jesus Christ to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, many of them end with this closing exhortation with which we also close this morning. For example, Revelation 2, verse 25 and 26, Hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for a word both of comfort, but also a word to stimulate us and to encourage us in our Christian responsibility. Uh, We pray, Father, that we might have a clear understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only not just a mere intellectual understanding, but with our very hearts, may we know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we see our opportunity and our responsibility to testify to that gospel in the midst of the 
culture in which you have placed us. Lord, may we do so with confidence, not in and of ourselves, but in your promises and in your faithfulness, so that your name might be honored and glorified by us and by many of those around us. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.